Our scriptures today testify to a radical thing that has taken place. Jesus of Nazareth, this man who's been traveling around Galilee, preaching and healing people, this man who essentially owned nothing, who was a meek peasant from Nazareth, was brutally killed, and now he's risen from the dead. This is an extraordinary story that we have in our scriptures today. And I want to emphasize that right off the bat, because I think all of us have heard the story so many times that it's easy to become a little desensitized to it. It's just become woven into what we believe. But if we take a step back, this is a fantastic, extraordinary story that we have this morning. And now all of our scriptures are testifying, and they're talking about the early disciples testifying. So we see in 1 John in the epistle, it's, it says, We testify to what we've seen and what we've touched with our own hands, so that you may believe. And we see in Acts this wonderful story about the early disciples living together, sharing everything that they have. They give up their possessions and live communally a life of prayer and of compassion for each other. So they're testifying not only with their words, but with their lives. And then finally in the Gospel of John, we have the story of Doubting Thomas, of course. And John says, this book has been written so that you may believe. So this testimony of the early disciples is spreading the word so that other people may believe. And as John says, so that you may have life in Jesus' name. So first of all, our gospel reading this morning is an invitation to believe. So what I want to reflect with you this morning on is, what is our response to this invitation? Now it should be said, first of all, that even some of the disciples don't believe at first. Thomas has been with Jesus the whole time. He's seen miracles, he's seen the teachings, but he doesn't see the resurrection when the others first do, and they tell him about it, he doesn't believe it, or at least he's skeptical. Certainly this is an almost unbelievable story. It's a fantastic story. So first of all, we want to acknowledge that, as we're going to take this very seriously. This is something that our reason is prone to doubt. And also right off the bat, I want to say, in the world, there are basically two ways that we see people responding to this story, at least in the religious discourse of the world. There are sort of two polar opposites that we see so often in our discourse. One is basically fundamentalism, which says, believe every word or else. <laughs> so there's this conviction that every word has to be absolutely, literally true. And if you don't believe that, you may be punished for all eternity even. Now on the opposite extreme, we have what I might call like hardline atheism, which is that every word is nonsense. If you believe it, you're being foolish. So these two extremes are the loudest voices in our public discourse. And I think sometimes people think those are the only two ways to respond to this invitation to believe. But I want to suggest that there is a third way that we are invited to and that, in fact, the Episcopal Church holds open for us. This third way that takes the gospel very seriously, but is not based on this absolute conviction that you have to believe this or you're wrong. So in the spirit of this testimony this morning, I just want to say a little bit about my story and about this third way, what this third way looks like. So I've kind of experienced these two extremes of almost fundamentalism and sort of almost atheism. 
When I was a young kid, I grew up in the church. I believed it. I believed the stories. Partly because I thought I was supposed to. And my interpretation at the time, at least what I internalized, was you have to believe every word or else. Even if the adults around me might have seen it in a little more of a nuanced way, for me, that was what I had internalized. And so I tried to. I tried to believe every word. But even then, sometimes I had the doubting Thomas inside myself. It's like, is this really true? Do I really believe this? And as a kid, that was kind of a scary thing. Because if you have to believe every word or else, then doubting Thomas is kind of your enemy. Doubts and questions are a threat to that absolute conviction, right? So doubting Thomas was kind of my enemy at an early age, because I wanted to believe every word. But as I got older, and I started to ask more and more questions and become kind of a precocious teenager, doubting Thomas kind of rose to the surface and even sort of got the upper hand. So finally, I decided, I don't believe. And for me at the time, that was kind of empowering. This is my decision, I don't believe in it. So I stopped going to church, finally my mom stopped battling me about that and just let me do what I was going to do. <laughs> so, and then, so at that point, Doubting Thomas was kind of my guide, right? Question everything. So I would say, as a teenager, I didn't have the church community, which is kind of interesting to me now because I'm a youth minister. <laughs> it's ironic in a way. But looking back on that, being a teenager is, of course, a difficult thing. And I would have really benefited a lot from having a faith community and having a youth minister. One memory that sticks out this week as I was thinking back on those times is I finally got my own room. I didn't have to live with my brother anymore. You guys have to live in the same room? Uh -huh. Okay, so you know what I mean. So I finally got my own room as a teenager, and my mom knew what kind of mood I was in by the door of my room. So if the door was locked, that meant don't even talk to me. <laughs> if the door was closed but unlocked, it was like kind of doing my own thing, but if you have to talk to me, at least knock first, right? <laughs> if the door was cracked, it was like, come on in. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of times as a teenager, the door was closed, right? I was in my own zone. I was trying to shut off the world. And often I felt like I was kind of having a hard time with everything. And at that point, I had basically closed the door on faith. I thought it was locked. So when I got to college, this was my mindset. I was really getting into philosophy. I loved asking these questions about life. Question, question. So I took a lot of philosophy classes. And my teachers were encouraging me, question everything. And even take that a step further, doubt everything. And I took that seriously. I tried to take that to heart and live by it. And at first it was empowering, but after a while I found that it's kind of an untenable thing to live by. To truly doubt everything. I even, you know, as a sort of practice or experiment, doubted whether I even existed, which sounds kind of absurd. But if you take it all the way, you can end up in a place like that, right? It's hard to believe anything. So, based purely on reason and questioning, I found that I was not ending up in a place that was very meaningful to me, or felt real. So I was, I was missing something, and I was yearning for something at that point in my life. Uh, but I kept taking philosophy classes, and I remember the moment, I can pinpoint the moment that something shifted inside me. I was reading this book by David Hume, this great English philosopher, and it was a debate about the existence of God. 
There were three different positions in it. Uh, and one of the wonderful things about this book is each voice, which represents the position, draws out the full implications of their position. They really get to explain it and explain it. How can this be that God exists or doesn't? And so on. And this really got me thinking and asking that question, does God exist? Suddenly that was like a very deep question to me that I needed to answer for myself or explore at least. So I started asking all these questions. Could all of this existence really have come from nothing? Is that a tenable idea? Where do the laws of nature come from? Is there a presence behind reality? And that one kind of stopped me in my tracks. I suddenly opened the door a crack to that possibility. Is there a presence behind reality that holds the whole thing together and infuses it and makes it what it is? And as soon as I opened that door a crack, I felt something change inside of me. That possibility kind of became real for me suddenly. And I remember I was in the gym, which is where I was working. I got up and walked around and literally everything looked a little bit different suddenly. Life was taking on a different character because I had opened the possibility of God. Now that led to more and more spiritual experiences and ultimately openness to the Christian gospel and becoming a Christian. And now the reason that I share that with you is that I think in my own experience, this is an example of the third way, which is not immediate conviction, this is absolutely true, or this is absolutely not true, but it was holding open the possibility. And once I opened that door a crack, the Holy Spirit blew in, blew it wide open. Now, there's kind of an analogy in my recent experience that kind of illustrates this third way that I'm trying to talk about. Um, Florence and I are getting married in a few months. We're very excited about that. We're getting married in the church. And as part of our preparation for that, we're thinking very intentionally about our relationship. And one of the really helpful techniques that I've learned is a way of conflict resolution. So if you have a conflict, maybe you're both entrenched in your position and there's no way forward, how do you find that third way? And the technique that we've learned is try to brainstorm creatively all the different possible solutions to this problem. And here's the key. Don't shoot them down right away. Even if you don't like the solution, draw it out to its full implication. What are the positives and negatives to this? Get them all out on the table before you shoot any of them down. And I can tell you that's been a profound practice. Very helpful to me. And I think that represents this kind of posture toward belief that I believe the gospel is really inviting us toward, which is hold open the possibility. So in that sense, Doubting Thomas can be an ally by asking questions, by opening possibilities. But if Doubting Thomas becomes that voice that shoots things down right away, then it's not helpful. So I think doubt does have a fundamental place in our faith of asking questions. And for me, it was only through asking questions that I arrived at faith and I opened that door. So, finally, I, I want to close with this question. So if we open this door of possibility on this resurrection story, what if this is true? Now, sometimes we take it for granted that it is, but really though, what if this actually happens? What does that mean? So if this man, Jesus, who taught this gospel of love and was brutally killed by the powers of the world, rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, Wow. 
First of all, what I take from that is life wins out over death. This is God's message to us. This is what the disciples are testifying to. And God's power is very different from the power of the world because the powers of the world have just killed this man. And what it also tells me is when Jesus is resurrected, he still has his wounds. Thomas wants to touch his wounds to make sure it's the real thing, right? So what that speaks to me is that God redeems us in all of our woundedness. It's not necessarily that the wounds just go away in the resurrected life, but that God comes down and embraces all of us, the wounds, the faults. The risen Jesus is still wounded. So this is saying some profound things about God if we open this possibility. What is this saying to you? What if this is true? So I'll close with one final question. As we saw those early disciples, their lives were transformed, right? And I would say my life has been transformed in some ways by believing this, having this God, this faith as my center. It's done amazing things for me. But the disciples took it to its fullest extent. They shared everything that they had. What would that look like if we did that? Now, I'm sure in you, as in me, there are a hundred reasons that can pop up right away about why that's not going to happen. But just for a moment, let's engage in that third way. What would that look like? This radical message that's in our gospel this morning. What would it look like for us? May God, may the Holy Spirit guide us into all truth and keep us open to the radical possibilities of this gospel. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at oursaviourmv.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.